Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. As a nation, we are encouraging more high school students to go to college, which is almost an essential tool to boost your earnings and your options in life generally. In fact, some districts like Los Angeles Unified are requiring completion of the courses needed for admission to the California State University and University of California as a high school graduation requirement. But what happens to students once they get to college remains a major challenge. Far too many students drop out of college. Here are a few jarring statistics. 30 million Americans over the age of 25, that's almost 10% of the nation's population, have dropped out of college. The six-year graduation rate at the 23 California State University campuses is 61%, and the university is now looking to bump that up to 75% by the year 2025. So this week, we're going to focus on this dismal state of affairs and what can be done to reduce the dropout rates. We're going to speak with David Kirp, a UC Berkeley professor and author of many books in New York Times columns on education, about his new book, The College Dropout Scandal. And we'll talk with Cal State Long Beach President Jane Connolly. Her campus has shown some dramatic successes in improving graduation rates. In his book, David Kirp describes the dropout rate as a dereliction of duty, a stain on the nation. Welcome, David. It's a pleasure to be here, Lewis. Well, David, you note in your book that 40% of college students don't graduate even after six years. That, to me, just seems incredible. I mean, if we looked at college graduation rates after four years, which is what, you know, usually people think of as how long a college education should take, the figure would be even lower. Much lower in the neighborhood of 40%. So how did we get to this? Why do you call it a scandal? It's a scandal because those numbers spell a big problem in terms of the amount of debt that students graduate with, nothing to show for it, the fact that they're three or four times more likely to to default on that debt, can't get mortgages down the road, wind up with more health problems, less political engagement. Taxpayers are worse off. The scandal is that there are tools out there that can move the needle on that problem and shrink or close the opportunity gap between new gen students and everybody else, and they're not being effectively used. And that dropout rate hasn't budged much in decades. And when you say new gen students, what are you referring to there? So I'm talking about the students who really aren't the traditional old-line college students, underrepresented racial minorities, kids who get Pell Grants, immigrants, first generation of their families to go to college, that group of students and foster kids who have it really worse, their graduation rate is at best 8%. Some people estimate it at 1%. One of the things you do note in your book that there is a tremendous variation. I mean, some colleges are doing a very good job. Probably most are not doing a good job on this. But one of the things that also jumped out at me is you talk about a lack of accountability for this sorry state of affairs. You you actually say no one is really fired because students are dropping out. Would you say that's a general condition across higher ed? Oh, indeed. I mean, if a high school had this kind of graduation rate, it would be called a dropout factory and the principal would be looking for another job. It's just not the case in higher education. I mean, if this was a business, it would have gone out of business a good long time ago. And when I get calls on radio shows and people are saying, isn't it all the fault of the students? They're not ready. They're not college material. I point to exactly the figures that you just did. Some colleges with exactly the same admissions profiles have graduation rates that are 20% higher than their peers. And some colleges with the same overall graduation rates have gap between the new gen students 
and the overall student body that ranges from zero to 40%. So it really isn't on the students. A lot of it is on the schools. And so, David, you did a lot of traveling for your book, and you went to places that people really don't associate as great schools, like Georgia State and University of Central Florida. And, and also Cal State Long Beach, which is the big California example you point to. They're succeeding. What are they doing right? I focused, by and large, not on the fancy schools, like you know the, the flagship universities like Berkeley, where I teach, but on the second-tier schools, the Cal States and their equivalents elsewhere, the schools that American kids go to. And what are they doing? Well, they're doing very different things. The biggest thing they've done is to say, okay, we, the administration, are going to make graduation, we're going to make student success our number one priority. And we're not going to just say that, which a lot of schools do. We're going to act on that. There's going to be somebody who is the dropout czar, who lives, eats, and drinks this issue. And then we're going to have a look at all the roadblocks, all the reasons why our students aren't graduating, figure out what to do to remove them. And the good news is we know how to remove them. They're not going to cost a mint. They're doable by non-geniuses. I think more or less every college administrator with a pulse knows about most of them. They're just not doing them well. What they're doing is little itty-bitty experiments which go no place where the data may often not be analyzed and then just are dropped. And that's the reason we've got this problem. Will you cite some very specific sort of quick fixes like text messages that you can send to students before they come to nudge them to deal with this summer melt issue? And talk about that, if you will. At many of the schools that I'm writing about, 20, 30 percent of the students who've been accepted, paid their down payment, never show up in the fall. Now, there are a bunch of reasons for that. One of them is that these kids may decide they're going to postpone college or They've got family obligations, but a big reason turns out to be they've got a bunch of paperwork to do that they don't understand how to do. The biggest item on that list are the federal financial aid forms, which are killers. You just have a look at those, as, as I did. And so the nudge that you're talking about is a text message to these kids saying, you know, your federal financial aid form or the California financial aid forms, they're due in a week or so. And if you're having problems, contact us. We can help. And that, just that, just that message cut the rate of summer melt at schools by as much as 50%. Talking with David Kirp as a professor at UC Berkeley, author of The College Dropout Scandal. David, before we let you go, I just wanted to ask you about one thing that did just uh, was very powerful, I thought, in your book, um, which was the importance of creating a sense of belonging for these students, that they, that they feel that they belong to a college community. That's not the easiest thing to do, but I think a lot of students come to college and think, nobody really cares about me except when I write my tuition check. And there are ways, starting from the very beginning when students are new and most impressionable on campus and working all the way through that schools can do that. And the biggest one is to expand the number of counselors and advisors that students get, because these are adolescents. They need somebody to help guide them academically and they're going to have problems, and so they need somebody they can turn to. And when I talked to students all over the country and said, what made the difference? The big thing is to have somebody who really was kind of, you know, that person had my back. She was my big sister. She was like my second mom. And, you know, we all need mentors, and especially important for the kind of students that I'm talking about. David, one of the biggest issues to tackle, you said, is the mindset of professors to become more engaged with their students and, and have the classes more engaging. That's crucially important, and a lot of presidents do not have the courage to take on professors or to take on deans. They won't do this. They won't change the math requirement. And I'm really impressed by what Jane Connolly, the president of Long Beach State, has done. She has done research on the importance of making sure that students 
have a growth mindset and the professors focus on the notion that, you know, if you don't get it right the first time, that doesn't mean you're dumb. You can do it again. You can try it again. And you can go for help. That was David Kirp, author of The College Dropout Scandal. We're now going to go to Jane Connolly, president of Cal State Long Beach. Welcome, President Connolly. Well, thank you. I'm really glad to have the chance to chat with you today. Well, we've just been talking with David Kirp, and he noted in his book that your graduation rate, the six-year graduation rate, that's increased two and a half times from 26% in 1999 to 69% in 2018. As he points out, you now receive twice as many applicants as Harvard does. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And he was using data from a year ago. I, I'm happy to say that our six-year graduation rate is now at 73%. So we're very excited by that. And so there has been a market change, but there's been a lot of purposeful action to make it happen. Well, let me ask you about that. I understand that a key part of this has been the so-called Long Beach promise that not only you, but all the education institutions in Long Beach are involved in. Uh, what is that? So the Long Beach Promise is a collaboration now between the Unified School District, K-12, through our closest community college, Long Beach City College, the city of Long Beach, and now a brand new big industry partner of ours, the Port of Long Beach. So what this is a kindergarten through higher ed effort and promise to say to the students from Long Beach high schools that we'll be involved with you, trying to make you college ready. And if you are college ready, as judged by our criteria, we're saving a seat for you. And we have a place for you at Long Beach State, but also at Long Beach City College, should they choose to first go first two years for Long Beach City and then over to us. And we do this because as a California State University, we are committed to developing our region. And, you know, we think, of course, we're educators, we think that the best way to develop a region is to have highly educated people there. Now, that doesn't mean everybody needs a BA, but maybe they stop at two years from Long Beach City College and they have a certificate that enters them into the skilled trade. So it, it, my part of it is higher ed, but, you know, we are cognizant of other pathways that students would take. So, and this has become more and more important because perhaps when the promise was first made, and we have an official start date of 2008, but actually this was growing since the late 1990s, we weren't getting you know 106,000 applicants at that point, but now we are. So now the fact that we have this promise means that we stay committed to Long Beach High School graduates or Long Beach City College graduates, and we admit them at our basic rate. Now, the basic rate is still high, and it predicts graduation. But if you're not in the promise, your credentials would have to be much, much better just to get in because we're so crowded at the moment. And really, the the real reason is because we only get state funding for a certain number. And so that's the number we can take. I can see two impacts of the promise. One is a sort of a sense of belonging by students from an early age that they belong to Cal State Long Beach, that that's where they feel at home, perhaps. What do you do to cultivate Mm -hmm. that along the way? We're out in the schools a lot, meaning there's a lot of programming from Cal State Long Beach out there. Our student teachers might be part of just this um, 
summer they were part of design thinking uh, project, teaching kids how to solve problems. So in one way, we have a lot of Cal State Long Beach kids, meaning our students and our faculty out in the schools. And we also have uh, regular field trips where the students come. They go to Long Beach City College, and maybe as fourth graders and as fifth graders, they come here. Now, we invite them to many other things. We have athletic camps. We have STEM camps. We have many. And, of course, we're always inviting Long Beach Unified kids to come on campus. So that's one way. And and now we have a new program that we call Long Beach Promise 2.0. And once the students get to Long Beach City College, we are now they get an ID card from us that says future student, <laughs> and they can get into our athletic events. They can use our library. And in fact, just earlier this week, I welcomed about 100 of them here on the campus, but they're going to be Long Beach City students. So we're really trying to keep that conversation going. You know, we have advisors that will be over at the City College as well as in high schools. You know, there's not one silver bullet or one panacea that we found. We feel like we're doing like 50 different approaches, but it seems to be working because the number of Long Beach Unified kids applying to us has increased exponentially over the years. Well, we're talking with Jane Connolly, president of Cal State Long Beach, but you obviously are not only serving students from Long Beach, a state college, 40,000 students, your campus has been declared impacted. I mean, you can't take every student that applies. No. Uh, and concerns be, have been raised about that, that's sort of becoming a more elite college and so on. So how do you balance that? Yeah, we, you're exactly right. We had For this fall, this coming class will be our biggest class. We'll have almost 11,000 students, about half and half first years and transfers. So we take a lot of students, but we had 106,000 applications. So you're right, many qualified students are being turned away. The College Promise really protects us from that negative understanding of elite because 48% of our students come from our local area. And our local area is not an affluent area. The students are overwhelmingly, when they're in K through 12, they're free and reduced lunch. Many, many, if not most, are first in their family, you know, to get actually finish high school or certainly to get to college. So, but we are doing additional things. We're opening up more avenues uh, for online participation in certain highly impacted majors and expanded scheduling that we could run a Friday-Saturday school. And that might not be good for freshmen, but it might be good for master's students and other professional degree seekers. We're in the midst of a big planning process, and one of our strategic priorities is to expand access. But what really limits us is state funding. So I get state funding for about 30,000 full-time students. So that's all I can take. I have room for more students, but I don't have the state funding for it. David Kerf says you've done more to instill that culture of a growth mindset than any administrator he's seen in going across the country. So what does that mean, a culture of growth mindset in an institution such as yours? So for me, what growth mindset means is that When we are interacting with students, when we're teaching them or if in a co-curricular situation, we're always talking to them about how to learn from mistakes, how to learn from failure. And we use our languages careful. We we say, you know, a student will say, I don't get it. And I should say back to that student, you don't get it yet. You will get it. 
Now, that doesn't mean just try harder, student. A growth mindset has to be paired with services for students. So we have increased our advisors. We've increased our peer mentors. We've increased the number of learning communities. You know, so we've done the stuff that research tells us will help all students be successful. But we also have had to work with ourselves and our faculty to not have the idea. The opposite of growth mindset would be, well, you failed that test. You don't belong here. You know, so for me, it means giving students the life skill of resilience. I can do it. It might mean I have to study harder. Or it might mean I need to get some tutoring, but I can do it because I was admitted to Cal State Long Beach, and that's evidence enough that I belong here. So when a student is placed on probation, for example, that's not a signal to leave, but sort of a wake-up call to kind of do something different. And exactly. And f- yeah, and in fact, we changed the letter that put them on probation. We've, we've changed some of the communication to, to students to actually put the growth mindset language into the letters. I wanted just to ask you, before I let you go, your graduation rate now is up to, did you say, 72 73%? Yeah, about 73% within the six-year mark, and our four-year mark has gone up to 33%. We've been given a goal by our system to get to about 40%, and we think we're going to exceed that by 2025. And I would say, just looking at it objectively, really, don't we want all students to graduate? The fact that more than one in four of your students still are not graduating after six years, it, it seems like we should even be doing better than that. Uh, I think we can always do better. We have to look at who my students are. You know, my students are more than 50% Pell eligible, more than 40% first in their families to go to college. So almost all my students are working more than 20 hours a week. For the great majority of them to make it in four years may be unrealistic. We're going to take all the barriers out of their way that we can, but it may be unrealistic to push them in that way. But I never want to lower expectations. My message to students is, you take the time you need, but you're not going to get held up because you don't have a section or because you got bad advising or no advising. You know, we're going to change, the university's going to change to take barriers out of your way. If you compared our university to universities like us, regional, primarily master's level, state universities, we're really on the top end of that group. Now, we can always get better, but um, I have to be realistic about my student population and not put undue stress on them uh, when that's not called for. Well, we've been talking with Jane Connolly, president of Cal State Long Beach. Your work is so important to not only, obviously, your region, but to the whole state of California and arguably to the country as a whole. So thanks for talking with us today and look forward to staying in touch with you on this. I hope so. Well, thank you for the chance to uh, talk about my favorite university, Cal State Long Beach. One of the things that strikes me is that uh, David Kerb talks about this being a dirty little secret. Well, in California, it's not really a secret. I mean, the state has set very strong goals, both at the California Community College through its Vision for Success initiative at CSU and at UC. But, of course, setting a goal is very different from making it happen. And while progress has been made, we still have quite a long way to go. And I think that Kerb's book provides some models for our campuses to look to. It's one thing to set a goal, as you say. It's another thing to figure out how to get there. I was really intrigued by 
President Connolly's focus on the sense of belonging that students need as opposed to just saying they're adults now, it's their job to learn, that institutions have a responsibility too to look out for student needs, those who are hungry and this growth mindset. It's fascinating to use a K-12 concept and then adopt it to adults in college. It's important. One of the things that's also striking about what David Kirp is saying is I'm sure he wouldn't argue against increasing financial aid to students. I mean, especially to pay for living expenses, which is really a major obstacle for many students. But many of the other things he's pointing to are more cultural things, like this growth mindset and the sense of belonging and other little things that don't cost that much money, like texting students, using modern communication techniques to kind of keep students engaged. So there are things that can be done that don't require necessarily a huge investment of funds. Right. And the fact that, you know, just the awareness, more students are working one or two jobs at the same time that they're trying to go to college. Also underscores the importance of looking at the whole system, cradle to career, as Governor Newsom is pushing for. We have to look at all segments of the education system and how we get kids to succeed from an early age all the way into the workforce. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and Ed Source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Music